Hello, I'm Carl Oakes, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to the Way of the Higher Self. This is a spiritual path of self-transformation with an emphasis on specific evolutionary practices. It's suitable for people in the early stages of personal growth, as well as for those who've been working their path for a long time. And I want to emphasize that wherever you are on your journey, I honor the work you've done to get there, and I'm grateful for your willingness to consider what's offered here. So, from that place of respect and appreciation, I'd like to ask you the following questions. Do you want to be more grounded, more loving, and more effective in pursuing your goals? Would you like to be freely and fully yourself, justifiably trusting that your words and actions will always be constructive? Would you welcome a relaxed and yet passionate life with real and rewarding relationships, uninhibited creativity, and commitment to a spiritual life task? From my own experience, I know that if you're willing to work this path persistently, it will give you all of that. If you'd like to join me for this and other episodes, I'll show you how. Hi, I'm Carl. I'm really glad you're here. Let's get started. This is part two of the introduction to the fourth practice of the way of the higher self, understand our life circumstances as spiritual effects. It will be really helpful um, to watch or listen to the episode, um, which is the first part of the introduction to this practice, if you haven't done so already, because there's some foundational material there, including a long, complicated um, story that I used to illustrate the way that our life circumstances connect to our thoughts and our feelings and our beliefs and our attitudes and the choices we make uh, based on all of that. So in this episode, I'm going to lay out a systematic way of approaching really difficult experiences um, after the fact, or, or I suppose you, in some cases they might be slow motion experiences that you could use this um, while it's still happening to, um, to kind of unpack the whole thing and look at it as a as a reflection of internal states in you that um, could benefit from being kind of brought out into consciousness and, and looked at with honesty and compassion and allowed to, to evolve. Um, so let me just go back and kind of recapitulate, review the, um, the daily review that I've talked about in previous uh, episodes. Remember that when I was describing the first practice, feel your feelings, the daily review just kind of consisted of a feelings check-in. In other words, a look back during the day on, on what had happened during the day to notice whether there were um, moments um, when maybe we did experience our feelings organically or when we might have interfered with them. And then um, if we interfered with them to give ourselves a chance during the 
during the daily review to, to have a more uh, genuine organic experience of that feeling or feelings. And then um, in the next practice, which was observe ourselves with honesty and compassion, I added a piece which was looking back to see when was the lower self active. Um, and the lower self, of course, is the what we normally consider, what we normally uh, refer to as negative characteristics, character traits like aggression or manipulativeness or dishonesty, um, things along those lines. Okay, um, and it's important when we look at that that we do it with honesty and compassion honesty so we really see what's there and compassion so we don't um, kind of encourage ourselves to forget what we've just learned about ourselves uh, shortly thereafter because it's painful. Um, and then the next thing I suggested that we might do, add to the daily review, I called it clearing with life circumstances. Um, and which is also what I'm going to show you now, but uh, I'm going to show you a different kind of version of it. And in that particular version, I was really con I was concentrating on kind of interpersonal disharmony, you know, times when you just have an interaction with somebody and somehow it brings up some kind of discomfort, you know, you might be fear, might be sadness, might be shame, might be anger, um, something along those lines. And I gave you, uh, I, I, I gave you a, a whole checklist of things to look at so you could kind of lay that out and see what it was all about. And, um, now I'm, I'm kind of, still in clearing with life circumstances, but I'm in kind of a different version of that, which is suppose you just have some really uh, negative life circumstance, not just a, uh, not just a, uh, if, if you remember the episode, uh, if you listened or watched it, um, I mentioned, you know, uh, a, a weird interaction I had with the guy behind the meat counter at a local um, supermarket and how I spent some time afterwards, you know, coming up with witty comebacks and all that and wasting energy on that until I kind of ran it through the system to see what it was really about for me. Um, this would be something more ongoing and significant. Um, like for example, getting fired, losing your job or not having any money or, uh, not being able to maintain good relationships or, you know, something more along, you know, what does my life look like as opposed to I had this unpleasant moment with somebody. And um, so that's what we're going to do. And we're going to start it off with the same elements that we had in the third practice which is that we start off with what actually happened and we're calling that data. And that's just what a camera and a microphone would record. Um, 
because we want to contrast that with our judgments, um, which is how we interpret the experience. And it, it's important to be aware that that interpretation is not necessarily true. Uh, it's just what we're bringing to the event. Uh, it's not necessarily what the other person, what anybody else involved would say was really happening. And, um, but, you know, it's based on our prior life experience and it brings up for us feelings, which it's good to be aware of and to let ourselves fear, I'm sorry, let ourselves feel. And then uh, I was going to say those feelings tend to be uh, fear, anger, shame, and sadness. Those, those are usually the ones that are involved in some kind of unpleasantness. And there may be shades and nuances of those feelings, but we don't really need to we don't need to get, we don't need to have that kind of level of specificity in order for it to be useful to us. We can just use these four simple words. Um, and then we can use that feeling to kind of go back in time when we get really in touch with that feeling. And sometimes we use something called bucketing to, to get in touch with it, which, you know, involves finding where the feeling seems to live in our body and then connecting to what color the brain seems to want to give that feeling, um, and then giving it a sound, you know, waiting for some sort of plausible, authentic sound to come up. Usually that helps to bring us back. And I, I talked about that in, in the introduction to the uh, first um, practice, Feel Your Feelings. That tends to bring us back to what kind of childhood pain might be getting reactivated in the situation. And then, um, then I said that we should look at, or it's fruitful to look at what mirror there might be, um, what we might be projecting of ourselves onto the situation and reacting to negatively. In other words, maybe the person we're having the problem with is showing us something that, um, reminds us of something about ourselves that we don't want to see. All right, so these five elements are, it's always good to start with. Um, when you're dealing with a life circumstance, um, sometimes it's not always as neat a fit to go through these five as it is when you're just dealing with a single instance. But it's always good to get in touch with what am I feeling and how does that connect to prior life for me and what aspects of myself might I be uh, reacting to that I'm seeing in the other person. So that's all from the prior. Now we're going to kind of fork off and go in a different direction and um, ask one, two, three, four, five questions. All right. So the first is, how might this fit a pattern uh, in my life? And that, of course, requires us to be aware of the patterns in our lives. Um, 
And so I'm going to suggest to you a substantial piece of homework around that, um, which I would think a lot of people would have resistance to doing or might start doing and then drop. But I promise you, I promise you it's worth the effort. And that is to make a uh, list of all, of all the problems you've had in your life. Um, and that's not something you do in one sitting. That's something you um, you get a journal and you just, and, and don't worry about doing them in order. You know, don't make it complicated. Just it could be last week. It could be when you were three. It could be everything in between. Um, and just start, I, I said a journal, I'm thinking now a laptop might be a better way to do it because what you might want to do then is to kind of group them into categories, you know, problems with relationships, problems with money, problems with whatever. Um, and if you do that work, eventually you'll start to see, wow, I... You know, throughout my life, I've had these types of problems. You start to be able to, to classify them. And then you can answer this question uh, more readily. You know, you might be able to do it without, but it helps in answering that question. How does that fit a pattern in my life? So the next um, question is, um, do I have beliefs do I have related beliefs um, about life that this fits? And um, in the path work, we call these beliefs about life, these, these um, kind of convictions that we have, we call them images. And I could give you some random uh, examples of images, but I'm going to do better than that. I did a, um, I did an images list years ago. It was a long time ago. It was maybe 2005. And, um, I will share that with you. Um, it's, it's a, a list of, of beliefs about life, which suggest a really unhappy person. And that's, that's true. Uh, at the time I really was. And most of these beliefs are no longer that active in my life. But to the extent that some of them are, um, I, I, I'll also talk about that. So uh, I'll do that in just a moment. All right, so um, this is my image list. I, I think I might have done it in about 2005 or so. And uh, there's about a dozen images here. Uh, these are general beliefs that I had about life as a whole at, at the time, even though intellectually I might have, you know, been able to say, no, that's not really true. This, this is just, these were beliefs that kind of lived in me. There is no room in the world for me to be myself. If I really put myself out, I will fail spectacularly and be humiliated. Real pleasure comes from receiving, 
without giving. People are too stupid to understand me. Any group I join will expel me. I am irretrievably polluted by weird and even evil impulses I cannot trust. I do not have and cannot get enough. I cannot withstand confrontation. Women want to control me. Anger makes me strong and invulnerable. I do not deserve to be happy. If I allow myself to enjoy someone or something fully, they or it will be taken away. I can't follow through on what I start. Everybody sucks, which really means everybody will eventually disappoint me or hurt my feelings. So um, all of that stuff was pretty alive in me then. Um, let me think about uh, what still feels alive. Um, People are too stupid to understand me. Uh, uh, well, let me talk about that one. I, because this is one where I feel like I really uh, have actually had some, some uh, a very important clarifying insight, which is that it's up to me to communicate effectively. Um, I, I was, I had this embedded like demand that everybody else should really like interview me and should, you know, um, work really hard to get to know and understand me. <clears throat> and that um, I shouldn't have to do a lot of work, you know, to initiate and to explain myself. Rather, I should, you know, I would answer all those questions truthfully and so forth, but it was up to other people to take the initiative on that. And um, uh, there was a, a man I, I knew in the in the Mankind Project who like really directly challenged that and said, you know, if it's the communicator's responsibility to communicate effectively. And it was, um, at first I, I didn't want to accept that. And then it, you know, he made a really persuasive case and I guess I had to, I had to accept that he was right. And, um, uh, so I'm grateful to, to him for uh, helping me understand that. Let's see. Group I join will expel me. I, I, I'll just say I'd be much more careful now about, um, you know, does it make sense for me to be in this group or not? Do I want it? You know, I think all of that's very foreseeable stuff. Um, irretrievably polluted. When no. No, no, no. Can't withstand confrontation. You know, I don't like it, but I can, I can do it. Women want to control me. It's, it's nonsense. Right? I mean, that's just, I don't even want to start picking that apart. It's, it's too much for this episode. Um, anger makes me strong and invulnerable. Clearly not. I, I do deserve to be happy. Uh, I have, to, I, I, maybe I still have a slight, kind of um, a slight hit around everybody sucks, which really means everybody will eventually disappoint me or hurt my feelings. I guess I still have this kind of, when I read that, I kind of, 
There was this little inner voice that said, yeah, that's the way it is. But really, on the whole, um, this is this is not alive for me now. And I don't say that um, in order to say, yay me, you know, I've made all this progress. I, I say that because this this work works. Do this kind of thing and images get challenged and um, you get to really consider them and really think about, do they make sense or am I just doing things to make, am I just doing these things to myself basically? And um, you know, it's a, it's a real different perspective when you, when you look at it that way. All right. So, because yes, we are doing these things to ourselves and we can learn not to. So, all right, that's enough on that. Um, let's see. Did I miss opportunities to avoid this situation? And I mean, this is always going to be a yes, I think. Um, but you know, yeah, one has to come to it oneself, but, um, I think when we get ourselves into really bad situations, unless it's, you know, something, you know, uh, we're in a parked car and somebody smashes into us. Okay, that's different. But generally speaking, uh, the answer to this is going to be yes, and it's just a matter of figuring out how. If so, if I missed these opportunities, um, was I recreating childhood hurts? All right, let me explain that one a little bit because that's not obvious. Um, there is, uh, an understanding in the path work, which again is what, you know, um, what I, most of this teaching is based on that we have this compulsion to, um, recreate painful childhood situations in our adult life so that we can uh, overcome them so that we can master them. Uh, there's a little echo of that in uh, Imago, uh, which says that if we were hurt by caregivers who had, you know, certain kinds of deficiencies and so forth, uh, when we were children, um, we want now to have those um, caregivers uh, love us in a better way. So we search for someone who can be a stand-in for that caregiver, and we always choose people with the same um, deficiencies, which is why we end up marrying our mother or our father. Um, that's similar. This is the a nice uh, analogy I like for this is that it's kind of like when you play video games and you know you get to level six and you you fail. So you want to go back and you want to beat level six and you know, you keep trying, you keep trying, you keep, and the more you fail at it, the more urgent kind of, it feels like it to beat level six until you finally uh, are able to do so. And um, in psychological terms for, you know, if you're able to do that with a childhood situation, that would be like belated mastery basically um, of a situation that was completely, um, that was defeating as a child, 
Um, the problem is if you don't know that you're seeking belated mastery and you don't know any of what you're doing, uh, what generally happens is that you just, you know, you recreate the same mess and you get defeated again because you don't even realize that that's what you're doing. And then the last question, and this is pretty subtle and deep, is um, at any point was I taking negative pleasure in this? And that's a way of saying, um, you know, did I have kind of a masochistic uh, investment in this? And that might be a really difficult thing to admit, okay? Masochistic tendencies are, um, I think, are, are kind of embarrassing for a lot of us. They are for me, anyway. Um, and so um, I don't like to admit this, but let me give you some background on this that might make it a, a little easier to, to go here. Um, Again, in the pathwork, there's this uh, idea that when we're children and we have very negative things happening to us, one of the ways that we survive those experiences is we are able to rewire ourselves psychically so that we feel pleasure in this uncomfortable, uh, difficult situation. And that pleasure helps us to survive the experience. Unfortunately, then what happens um, is that there's a basic flaw in the way we assess um, situations going forward. One of the, the basic motivating principles in the brain is seek pleasure, avoid pain. Now, if things have been rewired so that a situation that ought to be registering as just pain is registering as, well, pain, but also pleasure because we've, we've rearranged things like that, the brain is going to now sometimes be drawn to that um, situation because it offers this kind of distorted, rewired pleasure. And that's kind of what we're talking about about when we say negative pleasure, or, or that's one way of looking at what we're, what we're talking about. So um, this is the new set of questions, and I'm going to run through this with the, um, with the story about Sue that I talked about in the uh, previous episode, the first part of the introduction, which I'm not going to uh, kind of summarize here other than in the very briefest terms. Um, I'm just going to say I was in a nonprofit organization with someone um, who I have named Sue, who um, uh, didn't take kindly to the fact that I tried to restructure her job because she seemed to me not to be terribly able to do certain things, although she did other things incredibly well incredibly well, very, very good at certain things. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, basically enlisted a lot of people to um, view me as a persecutor and, and as someone who was treating her unfairly and to create, create an environment where really my only option was to resign. That's as much as I'm going to say about that. So um, let's run through this. The and, and I already told you all the stuff that I mined from that um, 
experience because I was trying to illustrate that the world is a uh, feedback mechanism that gives us an opportunity to learn about our interior states and about our choices by bringing us some unpleasantness. Um, now I'm just going to kind of pretend that I was going through that after the fact um, using this system and we'll see what I pull out of it. I, it may not be all of the things that um, I, I did pull out of it or it may be new things, who knows. So the data basically is, um, you know, I had a conflict with this person and then a steering committee meeting in which uh, she, apparent, she said things about me which a lot of people seem to believe and which I considered to be untrue. My judgment about her at the time was that she was like this like deeply evil um, manipulator. And my judgment about myself in that situation was that I was uh, unable to speak clearly and advocate for myself and that I caved in and, and uh, let her run, roll right over me. My feelings, uh, primarily shame, um, after which a lot of anger came in on top. The wound, um, all right, I didn't talk about all of this when I did it the first time. Um, my mom would accuse me of all kinds of crazy stuff when I was a child. Not, you know, deliberately untruthfully but she just projected she imagined a lot of mo a lot of really sinister motivations like when i was three and when you know my motivation was that i wanted an ice cream or something and somehow she would come up with these elaborate stories about these sinister machiavellian plots that i was running on her that you know, I even had trouble following what she was talking about, but so I think that's the real core wound. And then, you know, things happened later in life, like I got accused of being the person who had hit this kid in the f head with a rock when there was no way of telling who had done who had really done it and everything. But it really comes back to mom. Um, and the mirror, the projecting part, am I a false accuser? I so wanted to say, no, of course not. I would never do that. But then there was that thing about Clark the Narc in high school when I just completely laid that on this kid for with no basis whatsoever. So maybe that was some long-term karma coming around, uh, you know, encouraging me to take a look back at that and really see that that capacity lived in me and also um you know i i while i usually am quiet about it i sometimes make very harsh judgments about people internally based on not enough information so there is a mirror there so how did this business about getting uh kicked out of a group fit a pattern well um i've i've you know, I had that thing with uh, the group turning on me when I threw the rock. And those kids, they lived in a, in a housing project that was kind of next to the 
apartment complex that I lived in, they eventually ejected me from their, from their project, it kicked me out. Um, oddly enough, for swearing too much, um, there's like a bunch of Irish Catholic kids and they, they really got um, bent out of shape about me swearing and then I did it to annoy them and eventually they kicked me out. So um, how does that fit? The swearing doesn't fit exactly, but being kicked out of a group um, hmm, I think I want to do, I, I would need to do a little bit more work around that one. Well, um, what's coming to me isn't like a super great answer to this, but it, 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 it is ringing some kind of bell that, that, um, you know, I knew that this, um, that this organization was not a good fit for me. It wasn't what I had in mind. I had actually, it had been my idea to start this whole thing. And I had a whole concept of how we were going to do things and uh, uh, treat each other with respect and all that. And then I was gone for a month. A lot of things happened when I came back. There were all these people there that I didn't know and hadn't really decided to do business with. And I stuck with it when... You know, so that's jumping ahead to did I miss opportunities to avoid? And there's something that I can't articulate very well, but I think it's there is some kind of pattern there of of staying in situations, in social situations when I know that I don't fit. Oh, well, like for instance, that um that that thing about being in this um kind of process group with this woman who hated me and all that. That's a really good instance of that. Um, as much as I was attracted to it on certain levels, there was a real not fitting aspect too. And I never said anything about that. I didn't speak up and say, hey, you know what? This, there are things here that I see that I really don't like. So there you go. Okay, it took me a while. It was messy, but I got there. You know, it's about not speaking up when I'm in a social group where I don't feel that people share my values, and so I'm just kind of setting myself up for trouble because I'm not saying, and perhaps not choosing to leave when I should. All right, do I have related beliefs about life? Uh, yes, I do have this belief. I read it in that list that um, groups will kick me out. That was one of my images since this experience with Sue uh, in the, that's what I call the woman in this thing. I, I, I've really, um, I, that's not an image anymore because I'm much more careful and uh, would not put myself in a group that I don't belong in. Um, did I miss opportunities to avoid? Yeah, I kind of, like I kind of got ahead of myself on that. But clearly when I, I was away for a month, when I came back, and there was this changed landscape and things didn't feel like what I had had in mind. All I had to do at that point was say, hey, you know what? I had something different in mind when I started this thing. What should we do about that? Like, should we split up? Does some people want to do this with me and other people do that with you folks? Or, you know, I didn't have to be a big, like, war. It just had, all it had, all I had to do was kind of put it on the table. So, uh, and that's definitely a learning for me. Was I recreating childhood hurts? Uh, 
yeah, going back to being kicked out of the, that housing project and stuff, which was also a misfit situation. Because, um, you know, well, I don't know how much I want to get into that. It, I'll just say it was. Um, so, yeah, I think I was. I, I think um, there was a pain of being ejected from that group, which I was um, bringing back to myself. Um, at any point, was I taking negative pleasure in it? I had to have been. Um, I just know that I had to have been. I'm not super in touch with a moment of kind of feeling masochistic, ple masochistic pleasure about this whole thing. But I know that I was in an uncomfortable situation for a while before this all uh, erupted. And I wasn't doing anything about it. So I know that my pain-pleasure calculus was distorted. Um, and uh, that's not as good, I think, as really f being able to feel back into a particular moment and, and, and knowing it. But uh, I, I am aware of it. All right. So, um, yeah, I don't know how that... How that compares exactly to what I eventually pulled out of it after months of working with it. But certainly certain things came out and there's no reason why you couldn't do this multiple times and kind of discover more each time you did it. So that's the process. I realize, you know, it's a little complicated. Um, it will get less so and less so as you do it. Um, and I want to re emphasize that this list of problems and this image list that you can derive from that will help you so much if you do that work. I, really, it, it makes so much of a difference. If there's a part of you that, you know, resists, uh, just consider that might be lower self saying, oh, you know, I don't really want to change or I, I don't want to change if it's going to take work. It, believe me, it's worth it. Do it. it you'll, you'll be happy. It will make you happy. Um, so on that note, I guess we'll we'll leave it there. Um, I will figure out a way to kind of provide some kind of support for this um, one way or another, so that it's it's uh, it's. Um, I, I want it to not be overly overly difficult to make this habitual, and at the same time, I really really want to urge you to make it habitual. Um, and so if I haven't done something yet to support it, just watch this a couple of times. So write these, write these steps down and then, uh, practice it on something. The more you do it, the easier it'll be. And again, it will make you happy. All right. Thanks so much for, uh, listening and or watching all of that. And I'll see you next time. Thank you for giving your time and attention to this episode of The Way of the Higher Self. I hope you enjoyed it and found it useful, and I hope you'll come back for more. Personally, I'd love for us to stay connected. If you feel the same way, I hope you'll subscribe to The Way of the Higher Self YouTube channel and or the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. You can also visit thewayofthehigherself.com where you'll find a growing library of materials to help you manifest your most evolved and positive qualities. While you're there, 
Sign up for email alerts and we'll keep you informed as more content is added to take your practices to a deeper level. Until next time, no matter what life may bring, I wish you maximum progress on your path.